February 6th, an earthquake measuring 7.8 on the Richter scale hit southeast Turkey near the Syrian border. Most or all of you know about this. We've been talking about it and we've been praying for the folks there and trying to help in, in any way that we can. Thousands of aftershocks have rocked the region over the past six weeks to the point that 49,000 people died and 1.9 million people are in temporary shelters, tents, and other things because their homes have been destroyed. Some of you in this room are not old enough to remember this, but on December 26, 2004, a tsunami hit Indonesia and a lot of the Pacific islands in the southeast. Waves 30 feet high swept ashore and 228,000 people over 14 countries were killed in that tsunami. In the 50 years since the Supreme Court decision entitled Roe v. Wade made abortion legal in the United States, 65 million babies have been killed. Jeez, why are you quoting all of these terrible statistics? Well, because the most common question, the most common spiritual question that people ask is, if God is so great, if God is so loving, 
Why does he continue to allow terrible things to happen in this world? Now, to put that question in the context of what we've been talking about already in the book of Hebrews, we might ask it this way. If Jesus is over all, if he is greater than everything else, if he is God, if he has provided such a great salvation then why do we still have so many problems? Problems in our own lives and problems in this world. Actually, that's a great question. It's a valid question. How many of you get up in the morning and either look outside at what's happening in the world or just look inside at what's happening in your own life and say, why is everything still so screwed up if God is loving? Anybody ever asked that question of themselves before? Seven people, unbelievable. You people have your lives together better than any other group I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a question that as Christ followers, as lovers of God, we need to be able to answer. If that's the most common question that people ask in this world, if God is so loving, if God is so great, why do terrible things still happen? We need to be able to answer that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We have hope. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we have hope. And we should, I don't think it's too high a bar to set, we should be able to tell other people why we have this hope. Nod your head if you're a Christ follower and you think that's a good idea. Okay. The, the tiny movements you make help me to know that you're still awake. I know those seats are really cushy, and to answer everyone's questions, no. We are absolutely not taking these seats to our new building, okay? So enjoy it while you can, but we're leaving these things here because you guys just get way too comfortable. We need to be able to explain this. And so the writer of Hebrews addresses this as we continue to work our way through Hebrews 2. If we're Christ followers, we have this hope. If you're not a Christ follower, you can have this hope too. That's what we're going to see. We're going to go all the way back to creation. We're going to see what God did and what went wrong. And we're going to see the most amazing part of all, and that is this, that the greatest became the least for our salvation. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have your Bible, the verses will be on the screen so that you can follow along. But we're in Hebrews chapter 2, and we're picking it up in verse 5. Last week, we looked at the first four verses of Hebrews 2. We'll start today in verse 5. Hebrews 2, 5 says this, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Now, if you've been here all, if this is the fourth week in a row that you've been here for whatever reason, you've been here for all of Hebrews, you may be thinking, how come this guy keeps talking about angels so much? 
first two weeks, when Tim was getting us started in the book of Hebrews, we were talking about angels. We, we found out that angels are supernatural messengers of God, and especially in Old Testament times, they were greatly used by God to bring people his message. One of the reasons that God used angels to do that is because they didn't have the Bible. We have the tremendous advantage and privilege of having the Bible today. They didn't have it then, and God used angels to bring them his message. But what I want you to notice in this verse is this, that when God was determining his will and his plan and purpose for creation, he didn't put angels in charge of it, did he? Who did he place in charge of his creation? Let's read verse 6. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, this is a quotation from Psalm 8. A couple of weeks ago, Tim told us there are hundreds of references to the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews, and this is one of the direct quotes. And in Psalm 8, David says, When I look at the vastness of creation, what is man that you are mindful of him? When we look at God's creation, we realize and we see our insignificance. A few years ago, our family was on vacation in the Outer Banks, and if you've never been to the Outer Outer Banks, it's an awesome place to go and to visit. And uh, we were staying in a little place, and, and every day we would uh, drive down to the beach, go to the beach, and, and uh, play in the sand and the surf. And, and one of the things we realized quickly was uh, there's a lot of waves in the, ocean, in the uh, Outer Banks. It's really wavy and breezy. And it was really fun. Gavin was a lot younger than he is now. We, we were going out in the water. We were playing in the waves and just having a blast. Every day we were looking forward to getting up and going and do that. And doing that. And one day we got up and we got in the car and we drove down to the beach and there were signs everywhere in all the little parking lots, beach closed, beach closed. And we're like, how do you close the beach? The sun is out. We're here. How do you close the beach? And there was fine print underneath and we were reading it and he says, and it said, Danger of strong undertow, and they weren't letting anyone else out on the beach. Now, I mean, I'm not much of a risk taker, so it's not like I was going to knock down the sign and go out on the beach, but I really wanted to know, like, how dangerous is it really? So we decided to drive down the beach a little bit further to see if there was a section that was open. In every place we came to, beach closed, beach closed, beach closed, same thing, the undertow is too dangerous, whatever. We get out and walked, we ran into a few locals, and I said, hey, what is, you know, is it really that bad? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be out there when it's like this. It'll suck you right out. A few days later, when the beach was open again, we went back to the beach. We're standing out there on the water, and all of a sudden, a wave comes in and goes out. I don't know all the technical terms for all the dynamics of it, 
but it took my feet right out from under me. Before I knew it, I was upside down, underwater, choking and gagging on salt water and sand and silt and everything else that was washing around in there. And I stood up and I thought, guess what? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's strong. Yeah. Maybe you've gotten home at night on a really clear evening and got out of your car and shut the door and looked up and seen millions upon millions upon millions of stars. When we look at the vastness of God's creation, we look at the power of everything he has done. What is man? We are insignificant. We are a speck in the universe. That's what the psalmist is saying. We're nothing. We have... The writer to the Hebrews says here in this verse 7, we have even less power and influence than the angels. It says when God created man, he made him lower than the angels. But look at what God did despite that. It says he has crowned us with glory and honor and put everything in subjection to us. What does that mean? Well, if we go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis, and we go to Genesis chapter 1, we know that the Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we read through that first chapter, and we see the whole story of how God created light and darkness and land and sea and plants and birds and fish and animals. And then he gets to the sixth day. And does anybody know what he says on the sixth day? He says, now let us make man in our image. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the act of creation said we are going to create one more creature. Man, humans, and we're going to do it in our own image. What does that mean? It means that God gave us the ability to think and the ability to reason and the ability to choose and the ability to love. And if you keep reading in that chapter all the way down through the end of it, Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that, and God uses this word, he gives Adam and Eve dominion over all creation. Created everything, creates Adam and Eve, he puts them in the garden, and he says, this is all for you. It's all for you. All the plants, all the trees, all the birds, all the fish, all the animals, it's all to serve you, and I'm giving you dominion over it authority over all creation. My good and sinless creation, this world that I have built, is for you. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? There's only one reason. Because he loves us. I want you to understand this, folks. Then and now, God wanted then and he wants now for us as human beings to enjoy what he has created. That's why he put us here. Now, I want us to read the rest of verse 8. 
This is significant. There are two sentences here. First sentence. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, that is, to man, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, let's look at that first statement. In putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. What an amazing statement. That is, that is dominion. God left nothing outside Adam's control. To Adam and Eve, it's all yours. You have authority over all of it. You're in charge. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? And yet, today, we don't see that, do we? Does anybody think that it looks like that we're in charge here in this earth, in this world? When you see everything that's happening, does it look like we're in control of it? We are not. We may have some small amount of influence, but we certainly don't have dominion over nature, do we? I mean, if we do, I want to speak to the person who caused that to happen last night that I had to get up and look at this morning. I'm done with that. It's spring. We can't control anything. And for that matter, mankind can't even control himself. We can't even control our own passions and desires. Everything that mankind does results in pain and violence and war. Why? What happened? Well, paradise was lost because of the sin of men and women. Bearers of God's image, crowned with dominion, now this world is cursed because of sin. Instead of a life of plenty and enjoyment and peace, we're doomed to a life of pain and grief and death. Because the curse of sin affected everything. Folks, do you know that God's intention was for you to plant your peas and your beets and your potatoes and your tomatoes and not have to touch them until the end of the summer when you were just harvesting everything? Weeds, the curse of sin. Ladies, Did you know that God's intention was for you to bear children, to add to your family with your husbands and not have to experience any pain when it happened? The curse of sin. Go and read Genesis 3 sometime. The curse of sin spread out over the entire world and has affected everything. Hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and disease and pain and crime, the loss of dominion, paradise lost, is because of our sin. Verse 9. But, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, I've told you this a few times. If you've been here for the last 20 years, you've heard me say this probably a hundred times, but some of you are maybe here for the first time, so you've never heard me say this, so I'm going to say it again. If you have a Bible in front of you and you have a writing utensil, circle the word but in verse 9. By the way, your Bible is a tool. It is not in itself. The paper in itself is not sacred. You can write in it. You can mark in it. You can come look at mine sometime. It's full of stuff. It helps me find where I'm going and verses that I love and words that are important. And this word is important. But... Thank the Lord for this word, because we needed a but in this story. The world needed a but. The world needed intervention. We need intervention. Why did God intervene? He gave mankind a chance. Can you imagine? I'm sure many of us have thought of this sometimes. You know what? If God had put us in the garden instead of Adam and Eve, we wouldn't have to deal with all this stuff, right? Anybody ever thought that before? I mean, Adam, what a screw-up. Come on. You're in perfection. Why did you do that? But the reality is that we needed intervention because God gave mankind a chance. He put Adam and Eve in there, and they messed it up. A sinless place with everything they could have ever desired. And a few hundred years after that happened, they went from sinlessness and perfection to the world being so vile. If you read Genesis chapter 6 sometimes, we've talked about it before, the the story of Noah and the flood. The world was so vile, it says that every thought of mankind was only evil continually. In just a few hundred years, it went from sinlessness to vile evil. And so God said, I am wiping this place out. And he did, didn't he? If you know the story. A flood destroyed the entire world. Only Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight people were saved. The rest of the world completely wiped out. And the animals they put on the ark. Very shortly, mankind began to destroy what God had given them again. Why did God intervene? Why is there a but at the beginning of verse 9. One reason. Because he loves you. God could have said, you know what? This has all gone wrong because of their sin, and they deserve it, and I'm going to let this world spin out of control and destroy itself. He could have done that. But he didn't. Because he loves you. He offers you hope in the middle of the screwed up world. He offers us salvation. Salvation from sin, from death, from from hell. And so we have this verse 9 of Hebrews 2 where we are told that now 
Jesus was made lower than the angels. Now, it's one thing for us to be made lower than the angels, okay? We're, you know, we're nobody. We're that speck in the universe that we talked about. But Jesus, Jesus was made lower than the angels. One of the reasons why the writer spends that whole first chapter that that Pastor Tim talked about with us for the first two weeks of the series, the reason why he spends that whole first chapter talking about the greatness of Jesus Christ and the superiority of Christ over angels, over all the world, is so that we would understand what was happening here, that Jesus became a man. He subjects himself to the agony of death. He's God. He is the greatest. And he lets himself be manhandled. He lets himself be mocked and tortured and murdered for us. To come to the earth the way that Jesus did is the ultimate humility. Just think about this. If Jesus Christ is over all of the universe, if he's the creator of the world, which is what the scripture tells us, he could have come to this earth as the king of the earth, and that still would have been a step down. Or he could have come to earth as the king of a country, or the king of a region, or even the most important dude in a town. But he didn't even do that. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that he came to earth as a servant. You know how Christ came to earth. We celebrate it every year in December. Christ came to the earth as a baby. The most helpless being on the face of the earth. I mean, babies They're cute and everything, but they can't even hold their heads up. Jesus came as a baby. The ultimate humiliation for us. Notice that key phrase from verse 9, so that by the grace of God. Why would he do this? Why would the one who created the world all of a sudden become the least powerful and influential in the world? Well, clearly he did it willingly because he's God. No one could have forced him to do this. But he did it because of his grace. He saw the sin of mankind. He saw the loss of dominion and authority, which he had given at creation. He saw the effects of sin. By the way, none of this surprised him, but he saw it, and he loved us so much that he died to provide a way for us to be restored. Because of his grace, we didn't deserve it. It's the opposite of the attitude that is so prevalent in our world today, that of entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve that check from the government. I deserve to have my student loans forgiven. I deserve free medical care. I deserve this and that and the other. 
Grace is the opposite of entitlement. We, don't, we didn't deserve Christ to intervene. We didn't deserve salvation that he offers to us. And if we're not grateful for this, if we're not amazed by this, if you're not humbled to the floor because of what Christ did for you, then you don't understand what he did for you. You don't get it if you're not completely humbled by this. The writer says he tasted death for everyone. Salvation is not just for a few people, it's for everyone. Christ's death was sufficient to pay the price for all of our sin. In 1 John 2, 2, John says that he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And the Father accepted that sacrifice. You see, my friends, the greatest became the least for our salvation. What a price he paid for us. What's the greatest problem in the entire world? Is it ignorance? Is it because people just don't know that the world is so screwed up? If so, then let's educate. Is it bad childhoods? Is it dysfunctional families? If so, then let's, let's counsel people. Is it poverty? If only people had more money, then the world would be a better place. Well, then let's redistribute the world's wealth. All of these things have been tried, and none of them have changed the world. Because the world's greatest problem is sin. So a Savior was a necessity. Sin is what has messed up this world and continues to destroy it. And by the way, you, because of your sin, have messed up your life. And I have messed up my life. And these problems persist in our lives and in our world because mankind continues to reject the Savior. There's only one solution, and it's the grace of Jesus Christ. If you are without hope, there is only one solution to the struggles and the pain of life, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 9 there that we read just a moment ago, the writer says, we see him. But we see him. We see Jesus. That's the whole message of the book of Hebrews. That's why we call the series Looking to Jesus. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you must respond to this message as well because God's word demands a response. If you've seen what Christ has done for you, if, he's, if you've understood the sacrifice that he has made and his humility, then my question for you and myself, for all of us who have, are Christ followers, are we willing to humble ourselves for the sake of other people? Are we willing to set self aside? Everyone has an ego. Everyone has pride. I have it. You have it. We all do. 
What are you willing to give up for the sake of other people? What are you willing to do for the sake of your wife, for the sake of your husband, for the sake of your children? What are you willing to do for the sake of our church, for the sake of our family? This is what God calls us to. This is what Jesus is showing us by his example. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this, To us who know Christ, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Christ follower, is this how you would describe yourself? Are you bearing with each other, the other people in your lives? Are you forgiving the people in your lives? Christ forgave you. He became the lowest of the low so that we could have life. And that's what he calls us to. He is the answer. He is the one. He is the Lamb of God in our place. I invite you to stand with us this morning. We're going to close our service with a song. Allow it to focus your mind on what we've spoken of.